This episode of the Ortho Bullets podcast will be a question session reviewing multiple choice questions related to slipped capital femoral epiphysis, or SCIFI, which is one of the topics we covered this past week on the podcast. So let's get right into it. The first question reads, A 12-year-old patient is scheduled to undergo in-situ fixation of the right hip for chronic slipped capital femoral epiphysis, or SCIFI. What would be an indication for prophylactic in-situ fixation of the contralateral hip in the same admission? And the choices are 1. Chronicity of initial slip. 2. Height over 180 centimeters. 3. Age over 12 years old. 4. Renal osteodystrophy. And 5. Elite athlete. The correct answer to this question is 4. Renal osteodystrophy. So an indication for prophylactic in situ fixation of the contralateral hip for skiffy would include renal osteodystrophy. The most common factors shown to increase the risk of bilateral skiffy include hypothyroidism, renal osteodystrophy, male and younger age defined as less than 10 years old. Riad et al. retrospectively reviewed the records of 90 patients with skiffy seen between 1990 and 2002. 20 patients, or 22% studied, had bilateral skiffy at presentation, and 70 patients, or 78% studied, were unilateral. Of these 70 patients, 16, or 23% of the patients, later developed a contralateral skiffy. All girls younger than 10 years and all boys younger than 12 years who presented with unilateral skiffy developed a contralateral slip whereas no girl older than 13 years old and no boy older than 14 years old developed a contralateral slip. Jensen et al. reported on a 20-year follow-up of 62 cases of patients with skiffy. At first presentation, 5 out of the 62 patients had bilateral skiffy. Further, 9 out of 57 patients had slipping diagnosed in the contralateral hip during adolescence 1 to 3 years after the primary operation. At the follow-up examination, 20 years after the primary operation, radiographs showed bilateral sequelae of slipping in 30 of 62 patients. Wences et al. reviewed 66 patients, or 76 hips, treated for skiffy with a mean follow-up of 38 years, with a range between 21 to 57 years. Results showed the clinical outcome was good in 35 patients, or 69% of the patients studied, as defined as when the patient had not undergone total hip replacement. As defined as when the patient had not undergone total hip replacement, when the Harris hip score was 85 points or above, or the patient had no pain. They also showed that corrective femoral osteotomy did not improve the outcomes in hips with large slip angles and acute skiffy had poor outcomes. Daurani et al. reviewed the current practice for the treatment of skiffy. 277 members of the Pediatric Orthopedic Society of North America responded to the survey. They found that surgeons in academic practice, surgeons with less than or equal to 15 years in practice, and surgeons treating greater number of skiffies are more likely to use surgical hip dislocation to acutely reduce the slip. Moving on to the next question. A 13-year-old overweight patient presents the emergency department with left knee pain and is lying in bed with his hip slightly flexed. He is found on imaging to have a severe slipped capital femoral epiphysis. If his leg is not manipulated for imaging, in what abnormal position is his left hip most likely to appear on an anteroposterior pelvic radiograph? And the choices are 1. Internal rotation, 2. External rotation, 3. Extension, 4. Abduction, and 5. Adduction. The correct answer to this question is 2. External rotation. 
So patients with a slipped capital femoral epiphysis have obligate external rotation of the hip with flexion due to displacement of the femoral neck metaphysis relative to the epiphysis. Slipped capital femoral epiphysis is a common disorder of the pediatric hip found most frequently in obese males. In more significant cases, this deformity induces obligate external rotation of the hip with flexion, otherwise known as the Drummond sign. Kamagaya et al. specifically studied the relationship of the Drummond sign and femoral acetabular impingement in Skiffy. They categorized 92 patients into Jones type A, B, and C and found a positive Drummond sign in 25%, 75%, and 100% of patients in each of these groups respectively. Chen et al. reported the results of a 34-patient series who underwent arthroscopic treatment of residual deformity after Skiffy. They found pain relief and improvement of the obligate external rotation deformity in 88% of patients with improvement in internal rotation during flexion from negative 22 degrees to 10 degrees. Moving on to the next question. A 12-year-old overweight boy is found to have slipped capital femoral epiphysis and undergoes screw fixation. He returns at his one-year follow-up visit complaining of hip pain and is found to have labral tear on MRI. Which of the following surgical techniques is most likely to have contributed to this complication? And the choices are 1. Open reduction prior to fixation. 2. Use of a fully threaded screw. 3. Multiple passes with a K-wire. 4. Anterior two-screw fixation. And 5. Immediate weight-bearing postoperatively. The correct answer to this question is 4. Anterior two-screw fixation. So screw impingement on the acetabulum and labrum can occur after slipped capital femoral epiphysis fixation, particularly with the use of a second, short anterior screw medial to the intertrochanteric line. This is felt to be related to the anterior screw placement, often resulting in an in-out-in trajectory. Skiffy is a relatively common etiology of pediatric hip pain, most often seen in obese adolescents and is often associated with endocrine disorders such as hypothyroidism. Its pathophysiology involves slippage of the proximal femur through the hypertrophic zone of the physis, with the neck displacing anteriorly in external rotation relative to the femoral epiphysis. Single or double screw in situ fixation is the most commonly performed treatment, though ongoing discussion continues on open-slash-closed reduction, surgical hip dislocation, and contralateral prophylactic fixation. Long-term outcomes demonstrate cases of impingement due often to the residual deformity itself after in situ fixation, but also from prominent screws, which can cause labral injury and even femoral artery aneurysm. Loader et al. provide a clinical summary of Skiffy. They review various treatment options and describe in situ central single screw fixation as most common and effective. Kishin et al. report a biomechanical study on stability of different screw fixation patterns. They compared placement of a single screw, two vertical screws, two horizontal screws, and two oblique screw patterns. The authors found that two-screw fixation is more stable than single screw, but there was no difference amongst the three different two-screw configurations. Goodwin et al. present results from a biomechanical cadaveric study simulating in-situ pinning of moderate and severe skiffy. They found that screw impingement on the labrum and acetabulum may occur after pinning when the hip is in flexion that is 70 degrees for moderate and at 50 degrees for severe. As a result, they recommend that placing the screw lateral to the intertrochanteric line on the AP radiograph may decrease the likelihood of this impingement. Moving on to the next question. A 13-year-old boy who has a history of pituitary adenoma has an unstable unilateral slipped capital femoral epiphysis. What is the indication for prophylactic pinning of the contralateral unslipped side? 
and the choices are one, patient gender, two, patient age, three, presentation with an unstable slipped epiphysis, and four, coexisting endocrine disorder. The correct answer to this question is four, coexisting endocrine disorder. So endocrine disorders pose the highest risk for bilateral involvement and prophylactic pinning of the uninvolved side and prophylactic pinning of the uninvolved side is most often recommended. Risk of contralateral slippage is highest in the youngest patients. In a study by Riyadh and Associates, all girls younger than age 10 and all boys younger than age 12 presenting with a unilateral slipped capital femoral epiphysis subsequently developed a contralateral slip. Initial presentation of an unstable slip has not been shown to be an independent risk factor for later contralateral slippage. Moving on to the next question. Patients with slipped capital femoral epiphysis are more likely to experience a delay in definitive diagnosis if they initially present to a physician reporting which of the following problems. And the choices are 1. Limp, 2. Hip pain, 3. Knee pain, 4. Proximal thigh pain, and 5. Buttock pain. The correct answer to this question is 3. Knee pain. So a delay in diagnosis of slipped capital femoral epiphysis or SCIFI can lead to significant worsening of the deformity or even progression from a stable to an unstable SCIFI. Those patients that report knee pain as their primary complaint are most likely to experience significant delay. Other variables associated with this delay include Medicaid insurance and stable SCIFI. Moving on to the next question. A 13-year-old boy has a radiographically mild, clinically stable, slipped capital femoral epiphysis or SCIFI. What is the most appropriate treatment? And the choices are 1. Spica casting, 2. Open reduction and internal fixation, 3. Single screw in-situ fixation of the epiphysis, 4. Two-screw in-situ fixation of the epiphysis, and 5. Crutches and no weight-bearing for 6 weeks. The correct answer to this question is three, single screw in situ fixation of the epiphysis. So the accepted treatment of a stable skiffy lesion involves fixation of the epiphysis in situ with a single screw that is perpendicular to the epiphysis and central in both the AP and lateral planes. Constructs such as three screw inverted triangle configuration have increased rates of penetration of the femoral head as well as femoral head osteonecrosis. Spica casting was once a popular treatment modality, but is associated with a high incidence of chondrolysis and is no longer recommended. Close reduction attempts increase the risk of osteonecrosis. Moving on to the next question. The rate of complications after in-situ pinning of a chronic slipped capital femoral epiphysis is highest with placement of the screw in what quadrant of the femoral head? And the choices are 1. Anterior superior, 2. Anterior inferior, 3. Central, four posterior superior, and five posterior inferior. The correct answer to this question is one, anterior superior. So the rate of complications increases as the pin moves farther from the ideal position, which is the center of the head. This is the strongest argument for the use of a single pin. The highest rate of complications, primarily osteonecrosis and pin penetration, is associated with pin placement in the anterior superior quadrant. Moving on to the next question, which of the following treatment techniques decreases the risk of osteonecrosis in patients with unstable slipped femoral capital epiphysis? And the choices are one, open reduction and pinning with multiple cannulated screws in an inverted triangle configuration, two, closed reduction and pinning with multiple cannulated screws in an inverted triangle configuration, three, closed reduction and pinning with a single cannulated screw, 
for in-situ percutaneous pinning with multiple cannulated screws in an inverted triangle configuration, and for in-situ percutaneous pinning with a single cannulated screw. The correct answer to this question is 5, in-situ percutaneous pinning with a single cannulated screw. So as described in the review article by Loader, an unstable skiffy is one where the child cannot walk with or without crutches. Reduction attempts of unstable skiffy have been associated with a higher rate of osteonecrosis after pinning. Osteonecrosis is also more likely to develop in patients treated with multiple pins than in those treated with a single cannulated screw. However, in unstable skiffies, surgeons often elect to utilize two screws for stabilization. Inverted triangle screw placement is utilized for adults with femoral neck fractures. Tompmakova concluded that pinning in situ without reduction with a single cannulated screw is the method of choice for the treatment of a slipped capital femoral epiphysis. Moving on to the next question. The Southwick angle, or epiphyseal shaft angle, serves what purpose in the evaluation of a slipped capital femoral epiphysis or skiffy? And the choices are 1. Determine prognosis for AVN. 2. Determine the severity of the slip. 3. Determine the presence or absence of a slip. 4. Determine the etiology of a slip. And 5. Determine the chronicity of the slip. The correct answer to this question is 2. Determine the severity of the slip. So the epiphyseal shaft angle, as described by Southwick, is measured on the frog leg lateral radiograph to determine the degree of the slip, which is calculated by subtraction of the angle on the normal side from the angle of the affected hip. The Southwick angle is also helpful when planning an osteotomy for post-skiffy impingement. The classification of skiffy based on grading the severity of the slip by x-rays is the Southwick angle and is based on the difference between the two hips on the cross-table lateral. Grade 1 is mild and characterized between 0 to 29 degrees, 2 is moderate and characterized by 30 to 60 degrees, and grade 3 is severe and characterized as greater than 60 degrees. The classic x-rays to view a slip are the AP pelvis and the frog leg lateral. The frog leg lateral often gives a better image of the slip compared to the AP because the epiphysis is posterior relative to the neck and this is better seen on a lateral view. Aronson et al. provides a good overview of skiffy, including the different classifications used. The loader classification identifies stable versus unstable slips and provides prognostic information in regards to the likelihood of avascular necrosis. Klein's line is used to identify the presence of a slip. The age or chronicity of the slip is based on the duration of symptoms, with acute being less than three weeks and chronic being greater than three weeks of symptoms. The article also reviews treatment options and confirms that the treatment of choice for stable chronic skiffy is stabilization in situ with single screw fixation. Moving on to the next question. Of the following clinical situations, which is most likely to lead to osteonecrosis associated with a slipped capital femoral epiphysis? And the choices are 1. A girl younger than age 15 years. 2. A boy younger than age 15 years. 3. An unstable skiffy. 4. A stable skiffy and 5, a stable skiffy associated with morbid obesity. The correct answer to this question is 3, an unstable skiffy. So osteonecrosis of the femoral head is the most devastating complication of skiffy. There is a 47% incidence of ischemic necrosis associated with an unstable skiffy. By definition, the patient with an unstable skiffy is unable to bear weight even with crutches. 
Osteonecrosis is most likely associated with the initial femoral head displacement rather than the result of either tamponade from hemarthrosis or from gentle repositioning prior to stabilization. Age, sex, and obesity are not risk factors for osteonecrosis. Moving on to the next question. A 12-year-old boy reports limping and chronic knee pain that is now inhibiting his ability to participate in sports. Clinical examination and radiographs of the knee are normal. Additional evaluation should include, and the choices are 1, mechanical alignment radiographs, 2, stress radiographs of the knee, 3, comparison radiographs of both knees, 4, an erythrocyte sedimentation rate and a C-reactive protein, and 5, examination of the hip. The correct answer to this question is 5, examination of the hip. So while all of the answers may be appropriate, radiating pain from a hip pathology must be excluded. At this stage, a slipped capital femoral epiphysis is likely. Therefore, the hip must be examined. Moving on to the next question. Hypothyroidism is most commonly associated with which of the following pediatric conditions? And the choices are 1. Lag calvae perthes, 2. Slipped capital femoral epiphysis, 3. Toxic synovitis, 4. Achondroplasia, and 5. Rickets. The correct answer to this question is 2. Slipped capital femoral epiphysis. So skiffy is a disorder of the proximal femoral epiphysis caused by weakness of the perichondral ring and slippage through the hypertrophic zone of the growth plate. The femoral neck displaces anteriorly and externally rotates. AP and lateral radiograph views often can illustrate the deformity seen with skiffy. Consideration is given to obtaining a cross-table lateral view as a frog lateral may worsen the unstable slip. Skiffy is most commonly seen in African-American, obese, and adolescent boys between 10 to 16 years old with a positive family history. 25 to 50% of cases are bilateral and thought to be related to hormonal disorders in young children such as hypothyroidism or renal osteodystrophy. Careful endocrine screening is warranted in at-risk patients. Loader et al. reviewed 85 pediatric patients with both Skiffy and endocrine disorders and found hypothyroidism in 40% and growth hormone deficiency in 25%. All the patients with hypothyroidism developed bilateral Skiffy. And moving on to the final question. A 14-year-old overweight boy complains of vague left knee pain, which worsens with activity. He has an antalgic gait and increased external rotation of his foot progression angle compared to the contralateral side. Knee radiographs, including stress views, are negative. What is the next step in management? And the choices are 1. Knee MRI, 2. Knee CT, 3. AP pelvis and frog lateral views, 4. Diagnostic knee arthroscopy, and 5. Hip MRI. The correct answer to this question is 3. AP pelvis and frog lateral views. So in an adolescent boy with knee pain, always examine the hips and consider hip pathology, especially if the knee workup is negative. Matava et al. discusses knee pain as the initial symptom of Skiffy. This retrospective review of 65 patients found that 15 or 23% noted distal thigh pain, knee pain, or both as the presenting symptom. 12 were chronic slips, that is greater than 3 weeks of pain, and 3 acute on chronic. Knee and thigh pain resulting from intraarticular hip pathology is a referred pain phenomenon and is a common reason for misdiagnosis of Skiffy leading to delay in treatment, possible further displacement, and worse prognosis. That's all for this question review session about slipped capital femoral epiphysis or Skiffy. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets. 
the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. If you've gotten any value from the OrthoBullets podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks so much, and we'll see you all tomorrow.